Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. We're going to talk about how that Jesus brings us peace. How many, how many of us could, could just stand to have some peace in your life? How many, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll share with you what I, I shared with the first service. You know, I, I have a, I want to get very transparent. I have a confession to make. I'm addicted to peace. I have an addiction to peace. I just like it when things are okay, don't you? I just like things being peaceful. Touch your neighbor and say, you can be addicted to peace. It's okay. You can be addicted to peace. (laughs) We're going to begin in Psalms chapter 107 and, and verse number 29. And here's what the Bible says. He maketh the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. Would you read that with me out loud? Ready? One, two, three. Read. He maketh the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how it challenges, instructs, uplifts, and encourages us. Touch me to be able to effectively communicate here today. Help me to stay out of trouble. (laughs) Touch the ears of the hearers to hear, hearts to receive, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. There are several words that can describe what I want to talk to you about this morning. And some of them are calm and tranquility and stillness and quietness, peace. All of that sounds good, doesn't it? Well, did you know that Jesus came to bring us that kind of life? He came to bring us peace. And I chose this passage of Scripture here, Psalms chapter 107 and verse number 29, just simply because there's something calming about reading it. The Bible said He makes the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. Now, I want you to turn to your right to the right in your Bible, to the book of Mark chapter 4, and we're going to start getting into this, and we're going to talk about Jesus calming the storm here out of Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Now Jesus had just finished teaching lessons on sowing seed, and He had talked about the mustard seed, and it illustrated the kingdom of God with this grain of mustard seed. And right after this, then the Bible talks about Jesus and the disciples being in a ship and a great storm coming their way. Let's read verse 35. And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. Let us pass over. Can you say that with me? Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. Somebody say little ships. That's significant. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow, and they awaked awaked him or woke him up and said unto him, Master... Don't you care that we perish? Carest not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, I don't think that we need to pass over this without pointing out the fact that this happened according to the Scriptures here right after Jesus had taught them about faith. The parable of the mustard seed. And see, what Jesus was trying to do, Jesus had taught them something and then they got into a situation where there was a storm And Jesus just went to sleep. Why did he go to sleep? Because he wanted them to practice what they had been taught. 
You see, there is a difference in teaching someone something and training someone. Teaching is the dissemination of, of information. The, the, I, I can teach you in things. I can tell you things. I can tell you what the Bible says. I can tell you what God would say according to His Word possibly about your situation or whatever. I can preach to you. I can declare. I can proclaim. That is the teaching. That is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when I step back and release you to put into practice what you have been taught, and I stay there and I'm there, but I'm allowing you to just go ahead and step on out there and make the mistakes and take the hits and whatnot, then I am training you. So there's a difference between teaching and training. And what Jesus was trying to do here was he was trying to train his disciples to operate faith because he realized one of these days I'm out of here. And when I'm gone, what are they going to do? Because they're leaning on me all of the time. And, and, and they're thinking that I'm going to take care of everything all of the time. And so Jesus knew there was a storm coming because he knows the end from the beginning. He knew all of that was getting ready to happen. He knew that was going to take place. And the Bible said that he went into the back part of the ship and he laid down and he went to sleep. It wasn't because he didn't care. He did care. It was because he had to exit the situation to give them the opportunity to try to practice their faith. And I know that's exactly what Jesus was trying to do because when they woke him up later, he looked at them and said, Oh, faithless generation, how long do I have to deal with you? How? And so here's the thing that I want to kind of take away from that right now. I realize that God can deliver me from troubles and from trials and from tribulation. I also realize there are times when He just has to be with me and His presence can kind of carry me through those times. But I never want to get in a position where I'm not operating what He put in me. And we never need to get there, do we? We need to say, okay, God, you did everything that you can. You sent your son Jesus to this earth to die 2,000 years ago. He died on a cruel cross at Calvary. He paid for everything that I need. And I have all of this information. I know that I need to speak faith. I know that I need to stay in love. I know that I need to keep my atmosphere set with the Word of God. I know that I need to surround myself with the right kind of people because I've got my faith on some things and I'm expecting some manifestation from you and I understand that and I know that. But I need to go beyond the knowing and I need to start practicing what I know. You see, the Word will work if you work the Word, but you have to work the Word in order for it to work. Hello? I said the Word will work if you work the Word, but you have to work the Word in order for it to work. So the declaration of faith is found in verse number 35. Jesus told the disciples, He said, Let us pass over onto the other side. Let's pass over. And so He went in the back and went to sleep. Now listen, He spoke it. If God speaks it, we can count on it. Jesus went in the back. He went to sleep. He had already spoken. The creator of the universe had said, we're going to the other side. And it didn't matter what happened, come what may, they're going there because when God speaks, you can count on it. Things happen. Verse 39, the Bible said that Jesus rebuked both the winds and he spoke to the sea and there was a great calm. And so his words of rebuke were speaking into the future pulling past the storm, pulling peace into the present time because he knew that peace was imminent. There's one thing that I've learned about storms. I'm getting a little bit older now. Got some gray hair, you know. Got a grandbaby. Getting a little bit older now. And when I was 25 years old, I used to engage in the storm because I thought I could fix everything. But I'm 49. I'm almost 50 years old now. And I found out that probably about 90% of the things that you are faced with, if you just give it a little time, it'll just blow over. It'll just blow over. The Bible said in Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 1, to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now there are times we need to advance, but there are other times when we just need to stand firm on the foundation of the Word of God and we need to understand that anytime I am standing in the middle of God's will, the devil's going to try to create a ruckus around me to try to get my attention off of where God 
God has taken me. So instead of paying attention to the background noise, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So I stay focused. Listen, focusing on where God is taking you can pull you through every single time. The enemy creates diversions around you to try to get your mind off uh, of what God is trying to do in you and for you. He tries to create these diversions. And so what we have to do is we have to say, Lord, you're the God of peace. And I just receive that peace inside of my heart. I receive that peace inside of my life. And God, I ask you to speak over my situation. Now, Jesus did not cry to the storm to stop. He commanded the outcome with the words of his mouth. He said, peace, be still. He did not say, storm, stop. Come on, this is what happens when you dissect the word. You start seeing things you've never seen before. Jesus did not stand in the bow of that ship and say, in the name of Jesus, I command this storm to stop. No, he reached into the future and by faith said, peace. And then he looked around and said, be still. So he commanded the storm to stop and he pulled peace into his present situation. How many times do we spend so much, we spend so much time talking to our battle? We spend so much time trying to figure out what's happening to us. Sometimes we try to figure out why did God let me go through this? Why did God let me experience this? How come God, you know, listen, just... Don't even pay attention to that. Just say, Lord, you know my end from my beginning. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. God, you know where we're going. You know my name. You know the number of hairs on my head. Father, I just surrender my life to you and just take me where you want to go. And when we do that, when we get to that point where we live that kind of surrendered life, then peace begins to come into our our life. See, there is peace somewhere. That's a lesson we can learn. There is peace somewhere. Romans chapter 4 and verse number 17, the Bible said, Faith is calling things that be not as though they were. And here's what I found out about God. When God gives you peace, when God speaks peace to your situation, when God interjects His peace in the midst of your battle, His peace is complete. And peace is nothing missing and nothing broken. So what God does is He just fills up that void and He fills up that space. And anytime the presence of God, I'm talking about the manifest presence of God. We carry Him all the time. But anytime the manifest presence of God shows up in our situation and God starts speaking, speaking, things start coming into line. Now, let's continue on here, okay? Mark 4.41, they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? So the point that I want you to get right now is that God wants us to live a quiet and a peace-filled life. It's God's will for us to have a peaceful life. Come on, touch your neighbor and tell them it's okay for everything to be okay. Now look at your other neighbor and say, True dad, and give them a fist pump. It's okay for everything to be okay. And he wants us to live a quiet and peace-filled life. And so what I want to do here for just a few moments is I want to talk about keys to a quiet and peace-filled life. And we're going to take this straight from the Word of God. Are you ready? I want you to go with me, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we're going to begin reading there at verse number 9. Now some of the things that we're going to go through here is is, uh, uh, I've prayed in, in the first service. I asked the Lord to help me not get in trouble. In this service, I've asked the Lord to help me not get in trouble. There are things that we need to do and there are things that we do not need to do in order to live this quiet and peace-filled life. It is God's will for you to have peace. It is God's will for you to not only have peace, it is God's will for you to contribute to a peace-filled life. Okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. So the Bible teaches us that God has taught us to love one another. 
Mama might have tried to teach you. Daddy might have tried to teach you. Mama and Papa might have tried to teach you. Uncles and aunts might have tried to teach you. Your friends might have tried to teach you. They might have tried and tried and tried and tried. But when God tries to teach you something, it sticks. And the Bible says that God has taught us to love one another. It's not just a command. It's an imperative. God said, love one another. We're even supposed to love our enemies. The best way to defeat an enemy is to turn them into a friend. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. You increase more and more in what? In love. You increase more and more in love towards one another. And look at verse number 11. The Bible says, And that you study to be quiet. That's hard for some of us sometimes, isn't it? When am I supposed to be quiet? When somebody's trying to argue with me? When somebody's trying to pull me in? When somebody's trying to mess with me? The Bible said that we are to study to be quiet. And then the next phrase says that we are to do our own business, which also means to mind your own business. Come on now, I'm not an evangelist, I'm a pastor, so I teach you. So I teach you the hard stuff. The evangelists come in, blow in, blow up, and blow out, and we clean up the mess. I have to live with you. I have to do life with you. So I'm going to teach you what the Word of God says. There's a whole lot of people today that do not have peace in their life because they can't keep their nose out of everyone else's life. And the Bible says here, if you want to live, you're to study to be quiet and mind your own business. Come on, touch your neighbor and say, mind your own business. Some of you, some of you been wanting to tell, look, look, some of you been wanting to say that to them for a long time, haven't you? When we take care of our own business, now listen, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. When we take care of our own business, that can bring peace into our heart and into our life. Listen, I love you. I adore you. I'm honored to be your pastor. I want to be for a long time if the Lord will let me. I love you. But, but you take care of your business and I'll take care of my business. And we'll do life together with those boundaries. How's that? How's that? And that's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. You know, okay. Keep your dirty laundry off Facebook. <laughs> now we're talking where we're living. Off of social media. I can't believe. And you rant and you rave and you rail. And Listen, the only people that want to hear that are people that, that have the same attitude, the same spirit, the nasty spirit. Mind your own business. It's not the world's business that you had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> it's not their business that you're upset. You know, here's what I've said about social media. If the church will use social media in a way that's positive and encouraging and uplifting... A, a way to advertise things that are happening, a, a, a way to encourage one another and things like that, then that would be wonderful and that would be great. But unfortunately, there are so many people that call themselves Christians that put stuff on social media that is contrary to the Christian life. I'm trying to say this as nice as I can. You are a representative of Jesus Christ. If you're going to wear his name, represent him well. So mind your own business. And don't put your business out there for other people to comment on and, rah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. You know, one of the things that we face as pastors, what happens is somebody will get upset sometimes and every now and then it'll happen and they'll leave and they'll just rant and rave and just go to work on us. I mean, so y'all love me, but there's some people that hate my guts. I'm just telling you. And they'll just work and work and work and work. But, and the thing about it is they got people coming along and, oh, yeah, yeah, I can't believe they're doing that, all this kind of stuff. But the, the people that are making those statements don't know the other side of the story. 
And so here's what I'm going to tell you. If you have people like that that is on your Facebook feed, on your Instagram, on your Twitter or whatever, quit following them. You don't need that junk in your life, okay? Surround yourself with people that encourage, that uplift. Study to be quiet. Mind your own business. Work with your hands as we commanded you that you may walk honestly toward them that are without and that you may have a lack of nothing. We're living in a day and age when people want everything for nothing. They want things handed to them. And the Bible said to work with your own hands. There is a certain satisfaction about walking into a house knowing I worked for this place. There is a certain satisfaction for that. And so if we want to live a quiet and a peace-filled life, according to the Word, we need to love one another, we need to study to be quiet, we need to mind our own business, we need to work with our own hands. And then the Bible says, when we walk honestly toward them that are without, then we will have lack of nothing. Are you ready for another one? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Trying to teach you how to live a quiet and peace-filled life. I exhort or encourage you, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all those that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. God is saying to us, pray for your leaders. Pray for those that are over you with prayers, with intercessions, with giving of thanks. In fact, just pray for everybody. Pray for all men. Just pray for everybody all of the time. Listen, when you're busy praying, it's very difficult to be busy talking about someone. So just get busy praying. In fact, when someone walks up to you and they offer you a juicy bit of gossip, just look at them and say, here, give me your hands. Let's just pray for that person right now. You know what's going to happen? They're not going to be bringing you any juicy bits of gossip anymore. And you might get them prayed through. And then the Bible said, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. Now go with me please to the book of 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. 1 Peter chapter 3, this is where we're going to begin. Now we're talking about living a quiet and peaceable life. What does the Bible say about living a quiet and peaceable life? And some of you are going to say when we start reading this, Pastor, I don't know why in the world you had to go there. I'll tell you why. Because it's in the Bible. <laughs> Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. That sounds chauvinistic. That sounds biblical. There's a divine order in the home. Now, I, I, want, I want to make a statement here, that I, and I want you to pay real close attention to this, okay? This passage of Scripture is talking about how to deal with an unsaved husband. Okay? That's number one. Number two, the Bible says that you are to be in subjection to your own husbands. That doesn't mean that you're in subjection to every man that comes along. In fact, if there's anybody that tries to tell my wife what to do, and they're a guy, and they think that they have that authority, him and I are going to have a talk we're going to have a come to Jesus meeting. I'm going to help him get in front of Jesus. And Jesus and I are going to partner together. And we're going to help this person understand that the divine order in this house is Johnny. This is Johnny's wife. The Bible says here, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Now, this doesn't mean that you have to submit to someone who's going to put their foot on your neck and beat you and all, all of that. But it's talking about, in this passage of Scripture, it's especially it's talking about how to deal with an unsaved husband. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may, that they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. What that simply means is you can't nag him into heaven. If you nag him, you'll nag him into hell. So show the love of God. Honor and respect. So there are times in our lives and in our relationships when we have to sow more than we reap. But the good thing about it is God's principle is if you sow, you will reap. And when you sow kindness, you always reap more than what you sow because what you sow is seed and what you reap is harvest. 
So if I sow kindness, then I can expect to receive a harvest of kindness. If I sow loving care, then I can expect to receive loving care, right? If, okay, now listen, here we go, here we go. If I sow conflict, then that's what I'm going to receive. If I sow chaos, then that's what I'm going to receive. So the Bible says that the husbands can be won by the conversations of their wives, by their wives obeying the word and loving them and encouraging them. And then the Bible said, verse 2, while they beheld the husbands, while they beheld your chaste conversation coupled with fear or reverential trust for God. And then it goes on, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of the hair and of the wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible. Look at this. Even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. Translation in modern vernacular this is saying that God is more interested on, in what you look like on the inside than what you look like on the outside. This isn't God telling you not to fix your hair. It's not God telling you not to take care of yourself. It's God telling you, make sure that your heart stays right. Have a good an ornament. Wear it like an ornament. Put it on like you would the plating of hair. Put it on even when you don't feel like it. Even when, even when it becomes challenging. Even when it's difficult. Put on the ornament of a, que- of a quiet and a meek spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands. What did they adorn themselves with? the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. I tried to get Donna to do that and she won't. (laughs) Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. And all the men said, Amen. You're sitting by your wives, aren't you? Because you would have amened me a whole lot louder if you aren't. Some of you that were in first service, you know what's coming next. So all of you men that were shouting and dancing the jig inside and you're, you know, these brave men that are too scared to do that with their wife there, now it's time for us to talk about us. Verse number 7. Verse number 7. Look at this. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with your wife according to knowledge. Now we're talking about how to have a meek and a quiet spirit. We're talking about how to live a peace-filled life. Ye husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. What? What does that mean? That means you have to learn her. Because she's complicated. God fashioned her. Remember last week? God made man. He squeezed man out of the ground. And in the same passage where it says that God made a woman from the man, that means he fashioned her. Instead of squeezing her out of the ground, he fashioned her. He took a little more time on her. He fashioned her and made her for the man. Well, let me tell you something. Women are different than men. And all a woman is looking for is a guy that can understand her. And let me help us guys out for a minute. Ladies, that's never going to happen. You're never going to find a guy that completely understands you. You know why? Because you keep changing. But that's cool. You know why? Because it keeps the man in your life engaged in your life. The changing tides and of, of life are what is what keeps men engaged with their wife. How how she changes. I'm like, I'm like, oh praise God. We got the kids raised. Oh, hallelujah, it's over. I knew nothing about menopause. I, 
I'm not putting our stuff out. I'm just telling you, this is life. We're talking about life here. I found out we're on a new journey. Hot flashes. Oh, Lord. I got up in the motel last night. I guess it was last, not, Friday night. I got up in the motel, and I looked over there, and I was sitting there all night long, you know. And I looked over there, and the air conditioner was on 66 degrees, and the fan was on. I'm like, dear God. And I never could get her. Now, I'm talking about dwelling with them according to knowledge, okay? I never, <laughs> I never could get her to get warm, so I moved her to Florida, and now she can't get cool. <laughs> it's not location. It's the changing seasons of life. The changing seasons of life. And so when the Bible says, men, that we are to dwell with our women, our wives, according to knowledge, that means that we need to be a student of them. We need to study. <laughs> we need to study them. And I'm going to ask you ladies, can you help us out a little bit here? Because we're trying. We're simple. You know... <laughs> We fix things. Donna used to come home when she was working in the secular world when she was managing uh, the, the uh, mortgage company. She used to come home and she would just go on and on and on about these underwriters and about... Rah, rah, rah. And I said, give me the phone. I'm going to call them. I'm going to take out. I don't want you to call nobody. I said, well, I can fix this. I don't want you to fix nothing. Why don't you want me to fix it? You're telling me, I just want you to listen. I'm like, what good does it do to listen if I can't fix it? I just need you to listen. Here's what I have learned. Here's what I learned. I am, I'm a leader, okay? I am a leader. I am a bottom line guy. I don't need all the details. I'm just a bottom line guy. This is where we're going. We need to get there and we need to be healthy when we get there. So here's where we're going right here. Uh, we're in the car yesterday. We're coming home. Donna starts firing questions at me. I'm tired. I've taught at the Grove Conference. I had the pressure of that on me. We'd been there since Friday night. We're coming home from Live Oak. It's a three-hour drive. She's asking me questions about today. She's asking me questions about the church and all of this. And I'm saying, yes, no, uh-huh, yes. And she's just all of these questions. And so what she'll do is she'll get an answer, and then she'll back up, and want the details of why I came to that answer. <laughs> Is this familiar to anybody? <laughs> Live with them according to knowledge, okay? Here's what I found out. I need to fix it. She needs the journey. I need to fix it. She needs the journey. You know why? Because the journey makes her feel engaged with me. It makes her feel like she's part of the process. It makes her feel like she's part of the decision, even though she really doesn't care too much about the decision. She just wants the conversation. It, seriously, it makes her feel connected. So I've learned with Donna... Most of the time, uh, an uh-huh, yes, and no is just going to lead to a much longer conversation. I looked at her at one point, and I said, are you hungry? And she said yes, because I thought if she ate... But that woman can talk between bites, buddy. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I'm enjoying some of these conversations now, though, because they're about the grandbaby. Okay. So the Bible says, now we're talking, we're talking about living a quiet and peace-filled life, right? 
So we shouted and we danced and we praised God when the Bible said, wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. But now we're seven verses later where the Bible says we're supposed to dwell with those wives according to knowledge. And then the Bible says giving honor unto them as unto the weaker vessel. And that doesn't mean weaker as mentally, but it means physically weaker, weaker vessel as of being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. So verse number 7 tells me that I'm supposed to honor my wife, that I'm supposed to dwell with her according to knowledge, and that, and that we are heirs together of, of the grace of life. And so when, I, when we don't honor them, our prayers are hindered. When we don't dwell with them according to knowledge, our prayers are hindered. When we fight... And we constantly fight. That's why the Bible says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. There was a couple that had been married for about 35 years. They were the same age and he looked 15 years older than she did after 35 years. Somebody asked him, said, how come you look so much older than your wife? He said, well, the Bible said to never go to bed when you're angry with each other. So I've spent most of my life awake. That wasn't in the first service message. I don't know where that came from. It just... <laughs> but I honor Donna. I'm better because of her. I'm a better pastor. I'm a better father. I'm a better husband. I'm just a better person because of my wife. And I honor her. And she's part of me. She's the other piece. She's the other piece. And when we understand that, when we understand that when He makes us one, when we give our lives to each other and God makes us one, when we understand that, then we'll come to the realization that if I hurt her, I hurt me. And if she hurts me, she hurts herself. And so we honor her and we love her and we dwell with her according to knowledge because we don't want our prayers to be hindered, do we? You know why? You know why He said that? I think, and this is just hypothesis, but, but I think the reason he said that is because he was wanting to get the point across to us that there are very few things in this life that's more important to God than our prayers. Our co communication with God. Prayer is communication with God. And isn't it interesting that God was saying, if you can't communicate with one another, then you're going to have a difficult time communicating with me. Have you thought about that? Okay, now let's go on. Selah. Then the Bible says, finally, be all of one mind. <laughs> That's a miracle. <laughs> Having compassion one of another. Love his brethren. Be pitiful, be courteous. Come on, we're talking about living a quiet and peace-filled life. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. I mean, if we're going to have a peaceful life, then we, we can't have the get-back spirit. We can't have the get-back spirit. Evil for evil, railing for railing. What is railing? It's when somebody just goes to work on you and you decide you're going to go to work on them. It's, you know, it, a person that wants to argue with you, if you just keep pay, uh, taking a pass on the argument, they're just going to quit trying to argue with you. Yeah, but I feel violated. Well, you have to ask yourself this question. Is this battle really worth the outcome it's going to produce? The hurt feelings? The things that are said that possibly could take years to get over? You know, evil for evil, railing for railings. The Bible says that we're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to render evil for evil or railing for railing. But contrarywise, we are to render blessing. If someone's always trying to argue with you, just start blessing them. I bless you in the name of the Lord. I bless you in the name of Jesus. Bless you. Hachu, bless you. Just bless them, bless them. Why do you do things like that, Pastor? Because I want you to remember it. Bless them. So instead of rendering evil for evil and railing for railing, we are to render blessing knowing 
that you are called to that so that you should inherit a blessing. When I bless others, I plant seed for the harvest of my blessing. And I'm not called to render evil for evil and railing for railing. I am called to render blessing. So you are never more like God than when you love people. Than when you bless them. When you try to encourage them. When you try to lift them up. When you try to lift their spirits. Well, I don't like what they did to me. They probably don't like what they did to you. Their pride is probably in the way of telling you that, but they probably don't even like it. And they probably don't like the thing that's going on like this between you all. So why don't we just offer the olive branch and be peacemakers because blessed are the peacemakers. So we offer that and we start blessing those that curse us and we start blessing those that despise us and we start blessing those that try to hurt us and destroy us. Well, you don't understand what they did to me. I probably don't. You're right. But what I'm more interested in is what it's doing to you. And when we don't forgive and when we have a combative spirit and when we fight with one another and try to destroy one another, then we're not blessing one another. And the only way to be like God is to forgive and bless. Because we want to keep the line of communication open, don't we? Between us and God. For he that will love life and see good days, and, and I want to do that. I want to love life. How many wants to love life? I mean, I want to love life. I don't want to just exist. I want to enjoy the ride. And the Bible says, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Translation, that means we don't gossip, we don't backbite, we don't slander, we don't try to, to, to defeat people, we don't try to destroy, we mind our own business, and we try to bless everyone. Okay? Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and, and ensue it. Look at verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. I can't risk that. I can't risk losing his gaze. Are you hearing me, church? I can't risk losing his gaze because somebody did something to me and I have to get him back. Can't do that. I'm going to bless them because my, com my connection to God is more important to me than winning the argument. Now, the Bible said in John chapter 8 that the truth will set us free. And in Isaiah chapter 30 and verse number 15, it says, In quietness... And in confidence will be your strength. Next slide there, Steve. In quietness and in confidence will be your strength. Now I want to talk to you about one more thing and, and then we'll bring this thing in for a landing. Is this helping you today? It's the Word of God. It's good, isn't it? I want to talk to you about atmospheres. Atmospheres. The atmosphere that we allow in our life reaches farther than any of us will know. In Mark chapter 4 and verse number 35, our passage of Scripture there, our text, and when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. Now listen, and there were also with him other little ships. Now it took me a while to find this picture because I was trying to find one that had, actually had other little ships. When Jesus calmed the storm and cried out, Peace be still. It didn't just bring peace to the ship that Jesus was in, but the Bible said there were with them other little ships, and it brought peace to them also. Now here's the principle that I want us to learn in this. What we allow in our lives will affect the lives of others around us. So if I'm contentious, 
if I'm chaotic, if I have a, a critical spirit, then that's going to seep over around the, in, in the people around me. They're, they're going to start developing those things. And what will happen is that nasty spirit that's in me that I despise will get in them and before long we'll be fighting with one another. So don't let it in. Protect your atmosphere. Keep an atmosphere of peace. Nothing missing and nothing broken. Keep an atmosphere of God's favor. Keep an atmosphere of worship. Keep an atmosphere of the Word. Keep an atmosphere of faith. Keep that around you because there are other little ships. Well, what are the little ships? Your children, your nieces, your nephews, your grandchildren, your co-workers, your neighbors, your spouse. They are other little ships. When I let God speak to me and when I let God minister to me and when I live right and when I act right and when I bear the name of Christ above reproach, then the blessing that comes upon my life can spill over into their life and they can be the recipient of the blessing that God is pouring upon me. There are some people that are sitting in here right now. This is a word from God. There are some people that are sitting in here right now. You are the key to the breakthrough in your family. But you have to offer yourself to God and say, okay, God, maybe... I'm seeing what's wrong with everyone else because I have a critical spirit. And if that's me, God, if that's how I am, would you open my eyes that I could see that? Because, Lord, I want the people that are around me to experience your love through me, your grace through me, your mercy, your blessing through me. I want to affect the little ships. So let me say it like this. We have to quit passing the buck and take responsibility for where we are and what we're doing and where we are going. It may be someone else's fault that you're in the situation that you are in. But they don't have to be responsible for where you're going. So instead of looking back, at the pain, look forward to your destiny. He that puts his hand to the plow and looks back, the Bible said is not fit for the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is God's system and God's ways of doing things. So if I'm going to engage with God in the destiny that he has created me for, then I'm going to have to be more focused on him than I am on the pain. My God, I feel him moving here. When we come to this realization, we can feel the shackles just fall off. It sets us free. It makes us realize, I might not be able to do anything about my past, but I can sure do something about my future. Hallelujah. And not only about mine, but those that are around me. Our words are the tools that God has given us to shape the atmosphere in our lives. Hebrews 3 and 1, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle, the high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. What God is saying here is if you will offer me your profession or your confession and it lines up with the word of God, I will partner with you to bring it to pass. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 just solidifies that statement. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. What it's saying is you can get to God. You can get to God. The Old Testament uh, people couldn't get to their priests, but you can get to God. This high priest that we're talking about can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet he was without sin. That means that he did not miss the mark. He made it. He obtained eternal redemption for you and I. 
Therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find the grace to help us in the time of need. Grace is God's ability to do in you and for you what you cannot do in yourself or for yourself. So when the Bible teaches us that we can find grace to help us in the time of our need, what it's saying is we can find God's ability to help us. So when we understand that all of that comes back to him being the high priest of our confession, then we can say without a doubt that our words shape our lives. So make sure that what comes out of your mouth is blessing and not cursing. Make sure that what comes out of your mouth is the word of God. Make sure that what comes out of your mouth is something that God can attach to and the Holy Spirit can attach to and bring God's best into your life. Now, in closing, I want to bring this down home. I want to give you just a few statements of advice from your pastor that can help you live this quiet and peaceful life. Number one, never forget that Jesus can speak calm into your life. Jesus can speak a heavenly calm into your life. Number two, become convinced that it is God's will for you to live a quiet and peaceful life. There's no sin in that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's God's will. Number three, I've already said this, it's okay for everything to be okay. Number four, no one is responsible for tranquility in my life but me. I am responsible for my own peace. Number five, before you engage conflict, ask yourself, will, be, will the outcome be worth the battle? And then the last thing, we have to make the choice for peace. And we can. That's the cool thing about it. All right, let's stand. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number 4jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.